Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Bowie, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering. What a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Well, good morning and welcome to the Maximum Mom podcast. Today, I am just so, so honored to welcome my guest, Victoria Collier, who is just one of the people who I have looked to for several years about things like growing her law firm, selling her law firm, just all kinds of things. I told Victoria a minute ago, I could probably talk to her for three hours. So I'm going to do my best to not do that. But um, (laughs) thank you so much, Victoria, for joining me today. Absolutely, Elise. I wouldn't miss this. I love just the energy you bring and I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, well, I'm just so excited to have you. Well, first, I just love to start out. I mean, tell us who makes you a family. And I know you had a busy weekend with that (laughs) this weekend. So I have a wife and who is also a lawyer and a set of twins that just turned 12 last week. I have a son, Christopher, and a daughter, Catherine. Wow. Okay. So you're like really in the midst of raising children. I mean, that. Those are intense ages, the 12-year-old time. Well, yes, my daughter is clearly pre-puberty, about to just hit it right at the same time that we are about to hit menopause. Two of us, two mothers about to hit menopause. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I have to say I'm feeling for Christopher as I sit here. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is priceless. I mean, it is, yeah. That is going to be interesting. I mean, I have to say when my daughter did that, I had no idea. I mean, literally, I was not prepared for the the new wrath of my daughter that was coming at me at that time. And so it was it was an interesting time for sure. Well, one of the things that we have done is when my kids were just like three years old, three or four, I started having some memory issues with word placement. And as you know, I did elder law. And I started thinking, oh no, I'm becoming like my clients. You know, they say who you hang out with is who you become. And so I went to what's called the Amen Clinic and had a very particular type of brain scan. And they said, it's not your memory. It's not your brain. It's the drama you have going on in your life. So I got rid of that. But we also then had everyone else in the family, just, you know, check your brain because you never know what's going on. So we have been able to, you know, massage around some of these emotional issues because we can see the chemical makeup of what's going on in the brain. (laughs) And so that is helpful. That's amazing. I mean, really helpful data. I mean, I think all the time, you know, the whole art of parenting, and I mean, I really do think of it as an art, not a science at all. I mean, just the navigation of your children's needs emotional well-being. I mean, all the things I feel like I'm, you know, I've spent the last, gosh, no, how how many years now, like 27 years, just navigating all these different things, you know, and what works for one child just absolutely doesn't work for another. I mean, like actually would be harmful to another. I mean, it's pretty fascinating. I don't know that people fully appreciate how much emotional intelligence is required to successfully parent. Well, and and what I know is that I want to just do it very differently than how my parents parented. And I know that they did the best they could with the resources and the upgrade bringing they had, but we have different choices now. And I'm fortunate 
with owning my own business that we have different financial means to do so as well. Oh, isn't that the truth? I mean, well, and just all the things that are out there teaching us about how much you learn subconsciously from your youth. I mean, that kind of zero to seven is pretty profound when you think about how some of those attitudes and behaviors get really ingrained early on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And what we can do to try to reverse that <laughs> so right. we don't continue the cycle. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I feel like we could all live like two lifetimes. So, you know, we need one to just try it and one to kind of perfect it, you know, like let's go back <laughs> And fix some I think of that's what things. they say reincarnation is. <laughs> so we just don't have the memory of the prior ones. <laughs> exactly. And I don't know how helpful that is. Because I'm really thinking those memories could be very, very probative in the second. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about, I mean, you have grown a law firm, published books, done coaching. I mean, grown this hemp business. Where do we even start? I mean, let's start, I guess, with your law firm. Tell us a little bit about how you did it. You grew your law firm and now you sold your law firm and you coach others on selling their law firm. I think of it that love it or leave it. Right, right. So the very beginning was I started my own practice right out of law school because number one, I'm from Texas. Number two, I'm an Aries. And number three, I just have, you know, this confidence that doesn't stop. So I thought, you know, I was a paralegal. <laughs> I can do this. So I started right out of law school and I found a lawyer who did family law and he kind of inherited the business from his son. And then as soon as he started working there, his son like left <laughs> and he himself was miserable. And I said, look, come over and be happy. I need a law degree because when you graduate and when you get your bar degree, it's like six months, right? And so I need a bar degree and I'll teach you how to do this. And so that's how I got started. Year into it, we decided that he could go ahead and retire at that point. And so at that point, it was mine. And so from 2003, all the way to 2020. And so I built it from the ground up. And I really learned in 2006, so three years into it, that even though I was in a niche, I started off specifically in elder law and estate planning. And at the time, there were only like five elder law attorneys that only exclusively did elder law in the Atlanta area, which is where I opened my practice back then in 2003. And so the market was still pretty wide open. It was a fairly new industry, even though estate planning had been around for a long time. But then in 2006, I niched it even further into veterans benefits. And that's where I really got a name for myself across the nation among other lawyers. So I started teaching other lawyers about this particular type of VA benefits. And it really was helpful to my firm. It was helpful to the community and the clients we serve and then, you know, other lawyers as well. And so then... But I'll tell you, you know, I wasn't doing any of the things that I needed to do from a business standpoint. And I even, you know, guffawed some of the things that I would hear. And I'm like, why would I need that? I'm already successful. And I'm already, you know, my first year of practice, I was making more than my wife was making as an assistant district attorney. And she'd been practicing for eight years. And so, you know, I thought, why do I need those things? Well, I did need those things. 
if I wanted to do it efficiently and profitably and effective. But nonetheless, in 2011, I woke up and I'm like, you know what? <laughs> because I had my kids in 2010. <laughs> like, I need to uh, be smarter about this. And so from that point forward, I was smarter as a business person. And then in 2018 is when I was committed to sell the practice. And a lot happened between then and then. But like you said, we don't have three hours. So I'm kind of short tailing it for you. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you mentioned 2018 as the year you decided you wanted to sell. That was the year I met you actually at Jennifer Goddard's conference in Colorado. And you did a talk to us and Alexis Austin was there as well about taking off for 30 days and being able to be away from your firm. And at that point, I actually met Shannon from your office. She was there with us as well. And literally, as I sat there listening to you speak, I mean, there was two things. One, I had to get up half the time you were talking and deal with something that was going on in court back in Seattle. Two, I thought to myself, I need to figure out how to do this. Like I need to take 30 days off and be able to have the firm run while I'm gone. And so you did not know this. I mean, this is the first time I'm ever telling you this, but literally your talk changed my entire outlook on owning a business. And I literally came home and said, I need to become this person. And so then I started stalking you. And um, <laughs> <laughs> You're giving me goosebumps, literally. Um, <laughs> but it changed me as a person as well, having done that. Um, and so I'm glad that it was impactful for you because I have seen you since then. I didn't know who you were before then, but I've seen you since then. And you are just, you know, knocking it out of the park. Well, you can thank yourself for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and your many other coaches. <laughs> <laughs> so. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, you did take 30 days off that year. What did that look like? How did you decide to do it? And how was that impactful for your business moving forward and being able to sell? Actually, at least I took two 30 days off that year. Wow. And uh, the first 30 days, it was right after my professional legal administrator had started working. I mean, literally the next week. And it was disastrous. We couldn't make payroll. I was actually up in your area of the uh, neighborhood. I was up in the Pacific Northwest taking a two-week vacation through Canada, Washington, Oregon. We did, it was kind of like that movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. We were taking our kids on just about any kind of transportation mode that you could do and visiting with some lawyer friends of ours, masterminding why we were there. So it wasn't all just play, but to me, masterminding is play because I love, you know, <laughs> meeting with other lawyers and talking business. But I literally was sitting there in, we have timeshare, which we use a lot. People say, oh, that's a horrible investment. It is awesome when you have kids and you're staying in two bedroom apartments instead of, you know, a hotel room with two double beds. But nonetheless, I'm staying in this place. It's like 900 square feet. It's very well laid out. And I'm laying there and I'm thinking we could live in something this size. I know we could because I was tanking the business. <laughs> Let's just, you know, I, I was going in a downward spiral and I was trying to figure out how can we survive? And I knew that we weren't making payroll and I knew all these things, but nonetheless, here we are on the outside looking like, you know, glory days, right? So I came back from that 30 days and my office met my, my PLA, 
what I had committed to was making sure she didn't leave. <laughs> right? I mean, I needed her to stay. So I went in and I, you know, apologized. And I said, I'm glad this happened because you need to know what it feels like to be hungry in order to help me run a law firm in order to really understand what being an owner feels like without this experience, you would not understand the gravity of it. Right. Right. And she did stay. And I promised her this would never happen again. And in fact, I went and as you saw in the presentation, I sold my house. I didn't even give any notice to my wife. I'm like, we have to leave. We moved into this tiny little house (laughs) and my kids, you know, I mean, I'm not sure any of them are ever going to forgive me, but at least my kids will understand that you do what you need to do to get the results you want to get when you don't always make the best decisions along the way, right? Yeah. You can course correct, you know. And then later in the year, I took another 60 days off and I took my mom to Europe and I actually tried to learn how to do family law and uh, all that kind of stuff. And it was a world of difference. It was a world of difference. My firm not only survived, but thrived without me. They didn't need me at all. And it was the beginning of the end of my owning of the law firm. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. I think as visionaries, those of us that, you know, walk around with all those ideas and kind of give whiplash to everyone around us with all of our ideas, it is fascinating to step away from the business for enough time to see. I mean, for us, it's been interesting the times that I have stepped away, which I have done a couple of times now since meeting you in 2018. And at first it's that, oh my gosh, like what is about to go down? And then after, you know, you can learn and make some of those corrections. I mean, I absolutely love watching my team thrive without me. Like it makes me so happy. I'm like, look at y'all go. And they make decisions that I'm like, oh girl, I never would have done that. That was brilliant. And I mean, it's been really eye-opening. And I think it's so fascinating to think about really owning our strengths and thus our weaknesses, you know, in those areas that we're not great at and really stepping away from those things. I always say, like, stop doing stuff you suck at. Like, <laughs> just be serious and realize that we have, you know, areas that we're great at and areas that we're not great at. Well, and at some level, we have to stop doing the things that we're great at, too. (laughs) And if we're truly going to walk away, and that means either on vacation or on a sabbatical or forever. And I thought that I had a well-functioning office because since 2008, I had been traveling a lot, teaching other lawyers about veterans benefits. Mm -hmm. And I had a whole team full of paralegals that just got everything done while I was away. But I was never gone more than like four days, except in 2013-ish, we went to Greece for two weeks without our kids. And it was just our vacation for two weeks. And my firm did fine, but they still had contact. So I had a superficial feeling that I had a real business until 2018 when I saw that I did not. But the biggest thing, Elise, is that why I say we also have to walk away from the things that we're good at and even the things we love is this is the biggest exercise of truly letting go of our ego. People say, let go and let God, which I completely believe in, but we need to let go and let our team, you know, let go and let our team do what they need to do, empower them because they need it too, as much as we need it. Yeah. 
Well, how would you say to somebody who's thinking about this? Because I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, our egos are a huge part of this mix. And, you know, really being able to let go of that. I mean, how do you coach somebody or talk to somebody about this? Like what books should they read? What should they be thinking about when you're really thinking about letting go of that ego and really stepping out of the way and letting your team do it? I don't know that there's necessarily a book about let go and of your ego, although maybe that's a great title that we should write. But I would say, number one, we need to be mature enough to be reflective of ourselves and understand that everything that's happening out there is actually happening in here first. Uh, So that's a level of maturity that many people don't want to be reflective. It's so much easier to look out there and, 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 you know, and blame. Okay. The second thing I would say is read crucial conversations because when things don't go the way you think they should, we have to be the one that initiates and leads those conversations that are uncomfortable. And we have to have the maturity to do that. And Crucial Conversations is an excellent book to do that. Then we have to, I wish that there was some way to say, you know, we'll train them into it. I have almost come to the conclusion and I'm not set on it yet, but I'm almost to the conclusion that we need to stop focusing so much on training and go back to that old adage of, Just sink or swim, see what they can do first and then help them out. Don't give them all the answers, let them fail, let them have mistakes and then guide them to the shore. Don't just keep bringing that boat out there and, you know, paddling them to the shore. I so agree with you. I mean, but it's interesting because I see that so much in parenting as well. And I mean, this is an area where I mean, I sometimes butt heads with other parents because, you know, I'll be like, oh, yeah, my you know kid did this. And, you know, and I just watch them fall flat on their face and they're like, at least that's not all that nice. And I'm like, I don't know that nice is my goal here. Like, My goal is to raise independent, self-sufficient, kind humans. And so, you know, falling flat on your face is actually a great thing to do in the context of becoming that. And it is. Yeah, it's painful. It is painful. And I'm not always successful at it with my children. I'm certainly more successful at it with adults <laughs> who are not related to me. But you're right. I mean, that's how we actually get self-sufficient adults who then work for us is because we have raised them right as kids and let them have their own failures, let them go through their own pain as children because they have smaller pains. And as you get older and older, they become bigger. You have to have incremental ways of learning how to manage that. Oh, I think it's huge. And I mean, as somebody, I used to do insurance defense litigation. So I blame that. I mean, I spent my whole life with my young children going over a risk benefit analysis, like everything they did. I was like, well, have you put this through the risk benefit analysis? And (laughs) literally my little four-year-old would be like, well, if I do this, then these are the possible consequences, you know, and they would like think all these things out loud and, but it really helped them make decisions, <laughs> you know, and now as I look at them as young adults and I mean, they still do the same thing and I'll listen to them talk with their friends and they'll be like, dude, have you thought that through thoroughly? And I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, my poor little insurance defense children. <laughs> well, as I- much as I'm against Video games, my son is so for them. 
And we ensure that he's playing the ones that have to make them have decisions. And just this morning before breakfast, he's sitting on my work couch and he's like, mommy, should I do this option or this option in the game? And I have no idea what the game is or even, you know, anything, but I always, I mirror enough of the language that he thinks I'm following. And I just say to him, I said, well, have you looked at the pros and cons of each option? And by the time he talks through it with me, he's got his decision. And I never have to tell him the answer. No, and it's so important, though, I think, to do that. And I think you just really, again, hit that nail on the head when you think about your team members. And instead of constantly training them on the beginning, I think we are sometimes quite surprised at what people can accomplish if we get out of their way. I mean, I have watched some really creative problem solving in ways that I would not have thought of, nor would I have trained. But has been brilliant. And I'm like, oh, like I should probably just stuff all my thoughts on this because they actually do it better. And it's been, yeah. I mean, losing that ego is, I think, such an important part of this journey. And I always joke that this, you know, law firm ownership is not for the faint of heart at all, because I feel like every time there's chaos going around, you know, I've got to turn that mirror on me and I'm like, okay, Elise, what are you doing to cause this chaos? Like what energy do you bring into this? And, you know, that's sometimes painful, you know, really having those, just a lot of self introspection. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a ton of books out there for that. And the one that, as you were talking, that comes up to the forefront of my head is The Power of Ted, which is really just about relationships. And am I in the victim mentality? Am I in, you know, I mean, all of that thing. I love that book. You know, it's interesting. They actually live out here. The people who wrote that live out here on Bainbridge Island, and they're doing a course coming up really soon. And I actually thought about taking that course. It just seems like such a fascinating thing to really study and understand because you can see that triangle, you know, in everything almost. And I find it, you know, in family law a lot. And, you know, you can see that in it's something I've thought, you know, really getting and digging deeper into that could be really helpful in helping my team better understand that triangle. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm thinking about that. <laughs> it's so local to you. I don't know why you wouldn't. <laughs> I, I know. Well, that's the thing. When I saw it, I didn't realize they lived right here on Bainbridge Island. Have you ever felt overwhelmed with everything there is to do within your legal practice? How do you keep up with your legal work while making time for growing your practice and attracting clients? Do important things like deadlines and even your family fall through the cracks? This is why you should join us at the number one conference for legal entrepreneurs, Max LawCon. We're going to be focused on helping practices scale and bringing calm to the order. This conference is curated in order to accelerate your implementation. Based on where you are in your legal practice, we're going to help you identify exactly what is most important right now. When you leave Max LawCon, you go home with complete clarity, focus, and a plan to make 2022 your best year ever. And not only your best year in terms of revenue, but your best year in terms of time. Time back with your family. More time to do the work that is in your zone of genius. Only taking the clients that you like and more money in your pocket. It's all at the Maximum Lawyer Conference. Max LawCon is a two-day event on Thursday, June 2nd and Friday, June 3rd in St. Charles, Missouri. Seats are filling fast. Grab yours today at www.maxlawcon2022.com. 
Okay, well, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing helping people figure out about selling their law firm. I mean, I think of that love it or leave it. I mean, tell us a little bit about your program, what you do, how you help people make those decisions. Right. So I will start off by saying that the mass majority of people who work with me are not imminently thinking of selling their law firms, they are like, you know, I just want to know that I can when I'm ready to. And so they want better law firms. They want to know that they're creating something of value that they can sell versus just close down. They don't want to just hand their files over to someone else and be comfortable with or content with just knowing they're in good hands. So then number one, we look at the foundational Uh, makeup of what is their firm? You know, is it just a, and when I say just, I don't mean just, but is it a true solo practitioner that has no staff? That's going to be almost impossible to ever sell. And we just have to be in the mindset of, do you want to continue to wear the badge of solo lawyer? Or do you want to create a business that then would be desirable for someone else to sell? Then we have to understand who are the buyers. Am I a buyer who's a lawyer that wants to come in and be the practitioner? Or am I a business owner that wants to come in and manage a business because it's turnkey and it has everything there? When it's turnkey and has everything there, we can get a higher value. Some lawyers will be like, I'm okay with selling it to a practitioner and get a lower value because I don't want to be that business owner. I cannot tell you how many people, at least how many lawyers will say, I don't want to know the numbers. I don't want to track the numbers. I don't even like numbers. And I can respect it. I don't understand it. (laughs) I can respect that that's a mindset block. And so then we have to look at, okay, well, then who would be the potential buyers? And let's set your firm up for that. And so then it's a process of putting the right leverage in place. We leverage time, people, or money. Okay. And so it's finding the right leverage so that when their timing comes up or what they think their timing in their head is that they're ready and that we can then maximize the value, the dollar that they can get for that. Wow. Now how that's part of it. Yeah. Well, how long, like if you were just going to tell us like, who is your ideal client? Where are they in this journey as they're thinking about this? Like how long a process is that? And I'm sure you're going to tell us it depends because you're a good lawyer. And, but I mean, I'm, I'm really curious, like, cause I think some of us might think, Oh, I'll just, you know, chat with Victoria and in six months, that's all be tidied up. Whereas it might be a five-year process that we need to be working on. So yeah, I'm curious about that. Right. So It does depend (laughs) greatly. (laughs) Um, Now, you know, my very first client that came to me, you know, she approached me in February and she actually was calling to see if I would buy her law firm. And I said, I'm sorry, I have a conflict of interest because I have a (laughs) non-compete because I just sold mine. But then she hired me to sell hers. And literally seven months later, it was the papers were signed. She had money in her hand, full money up front and a very small amount of transition period. I have two other clients that have hired me that want a three-month timeframe, and that's just not going to happen as much as I try, right? Unless they're selling to, like mine was a three-month transaction, but I had already identified my buyer. I had already been grooming without her knowing it. And then when she gave the indication, I want my own thing, then I had the conversation and said, I'm going to be selling It'll either be to a third party or to you if you're interested, and I'll entertain discussions with you before I open it up to third parties. Three months, 
our papers were signed. But the typical law firm who doesn't have internal associates that are ready and willing and they've had conversations and we're looking for outside buyers in, I would say that we need to plan for a year. Okay. And it then during that period of time, we can make any changes necessary to make it more desirable if the lawyer has the mindset to do it. If the lawyer doesn't, they may be like, nope, just find me a buyer and let's hope it's within the next however long. Okay. And that's fine too. But I would say depending on practice area has a lot to do with it as well. There are a ton of immigration lawyers, uh, law firms for sale out there. There's a number of estate planning law firms out there for sale, but there are certain areas that are more susceptible to being bought because of the reoccurring income aspect of their law firm. And right. those could sell all day long if you you know find the right buyer who is a business-minded person or who's like within three years out of law school and they're tired of working for somebody else and they just want to have their own firm that's already established without establishing a firm ground zero. Right. Interesting. Well, when you talk about some of that recurring income and the things, I mean, these are the types of things that you can help people with, right? While you're doing your work with them, preparing their firm to be sold. Right. So what I look at is what are the assets that you can create inside your firm Mm -hmm. and which of those do you already have? And what can we add to it if necessary to increase the value or the desirability? I'll be doing some trainings coming up soon. The difference between value of a law firm and the sellability of the law firm. And people think they're the same. And certainly the higher value, you think you're going to be able to sell it easier. Not necessarily. It depends what the other components are. Right. Well, and as somebody who owns, like I own a family law firm and my name is very attached to that law firm. Do you know what I mean? Like I do. And that is something that I know we have thought about, you know, how do we make that switch from, you know, it kind of being all branded on me and my name versus, you know, moving out to a more generalized brand and just marketability, because I think that is a real issue that would be impact, at least if I was ever thinking of selling, it just feels like that could be impactful. It can be. I certainly changed my law firm name before I sold it a couple of years ahead of time. And again, that takes planning, right? But you know, there's a law firm for sale right now in North Carolina that does what I do, estate planning elder law, what I did do, that has its name attached to it and has a great reputation. I actually wouldn't mind buying that person's name and keeping it for a few years because there's like very little competition. Everybody knows the name. It's a smaller town. And why would I want to change that? (laughs) So, you know, and so the way I would think about it is I would keep that name probably for a good year. I'd slap my name to the back of the other name and then for another year or two, and then I would drop the first name and just have my name. And then that way, you know, you're easing your way into it even after the sale. It doesn't always happen have to happen before the sale. Okay. But a different example would be if you wanted to start having different locations all over the state of Washington, that would be a great time to then have a trade name instead of your name, because now you're having these satellite offices where nobody's going to know who you are. So you just want the brand. And so you start branding something different. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of fascinating things to think about when you think about selling. I mean, where are we in this in the market? I mean, because I do feel like a lot of lawyers do, like you mentioned, they just kind of close up shop and they 
pass off their clients to somebody just to make sure they're taken care of. I mean, is selling a law firm a more common thing now than it was, say, 20 years ago? Or, I mean, where is this industry as far as, you know, how is it moving and what can people do to make sure they really are staying ahead of this? I think it depends on who you listen to and who's talking um, as far as is it happening more than it ever did. Mm-hmm. I think that we have more access to information than we ever did. However, people who are selling their law firms are not screaming it from the mountaintops because they're afraid that they're going to lose their referral sources. They're going to lose their clients, which then diminishes the value of the firm because the income may go down. So that's a play. The other play is you've got lawyers out there who are willing to buy, wanting to buy, but don't know who's selling. (laughs) And so, you know, so I think the opportunities are there. I think that the old school thought is still, you just bring some associate in and you groom them for 10 years and then you sell it to them, which really is handing it over to them. In most cases, it's not truly a transaction of sale. But I think with the millennials coming in, that they are much more lifestyle oriented, much more business oriented, and much less roll up your sleeves and do it like the generation Xers were. And they don't have the mentality of the old school of die at your desk. They don't want to die at their desk. And so I think the opportunities are much greater And with the pandemic, I think that those who had a hard ability of shifting to virtual and shifting, they are definitely wanting to get out. And so I think we have a plethora of unknown businesses that want to get out that we need to match with those younger attorneys that want to own businesses and make them better profit and scale. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, I mean, I think Again, that pandemic and this whole idea of virtual. And I mean, we obviously, as you know, were virtual before. We started virtual in 2015. And I didn't realize we were kind of unicorn in that regard. I thought every single person was able to run their office virtually, at least some, you know, like, so when the pandemic hit, I was really surprised how many people, I mean, people started reaching out to me all over the place. They're like, how do you manage this whole team? And, you know, how have you been doing this? And, you know, so it became like this kind of side hustle that I had, you know, just trying to help people understand how can you do it and how, how really easy it is, you know, to be able to, to pull it off. But I think that it has, just open the eyes of so many people in what, I mean, all the endless possibilities. And I think that a lot of people definitely appreciate the remote aspect. And I know some people, you know, do want to go back into an office and, you know, they feel pretty attached to that. I mean, I joke, I mean, if I told my office that we all had to go back to a brick and mortar office, I mean, I'd have a mutiny on my hands. They would be like, uh, no, we're not doing that at least. <laughs> right. um, And I'm seeing it all over the board. Like I have one client that would really love to sell, but still has like a mainframe server and doesn't even have the ability to be able to get home. And how would I service that one, you know, staff member I have, you know, from a mindset, you know, just cannot do it. Then I have a client who's selling a business or a a law firm right now and has this nice office building that also could be sold with it. And the prospective buyer says, 
do we have to be in the building? <laughs> because we're all virtual and I want to keep virtual. And I'm like, you don't have to be in the building, just buy the firm. <laughs> and now I'm, you know, I've spoke with a, a law firm this morning that is one year old doing fabulously and is about to buy an office. And the first question I said is, are you going to buy that office for cash flow that you know that's beyond your law firm or is it just the law firm because I don't know of any other law firm that's going to necessarily want to come in and buy it right so I hope you have other business plans for the office besides just the law firm so we have to start thinking that way now because of covid is real estate is still a wonderful asset to own on your balance sheet but we also have to make sure it's not just for the law firm and that our plan is to sell it with the law firm because you might have a buyer that says i'm not interested in real estate right yeah it's so many different factors that go into this well tell us a little bit about i mean you've started a new business tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that. Are you talking about the coaching? Or are you talking about the the yeah. hemp? <laughs> the hemp? Okay. So yes. So, you know, being a mom and being able to really see where your children are going and support them has really impacted how I've conducted my law firm as well as my extracurricular activities. And one of those is in 2019, I bought a farm for my daughter because she, at the age of nine, had earned enough of her own income to buy her own horse. And so she bought a horse and then we were boarding it somewhere. And then we also bought that horse had a baby that I was in love with. So I had to buy the baby. And then I how it all started was that I had paid for a horse that had been rescued and they were all being boarded at the same place. And so when I was out there visiting my rescued horse, they were all at a kill shelter. And in fact, her horse had her baby at the kill shelter is so sad. But anyway, so we had three horses and I'm looking at the expense of that, you know, just boarding. And I'm like, you know, oh, yeah. she started looking at properties at the age of nine online for, you know, us having a farm. So I was in this mastermind with this other fellow that he and I would get to lunch once a month and we'd just talk about business ideas. And so he started talking to me about crypto, cryptocurrency and stuff and how, and that was pretty cool. And so then we started talking and then he started telling me about how he was a legislative aide in the state of Georgia and helped write the hemp laws when it became legal in Georgia, which was 2020 was the first year it was legal. So in November of 2019, right before it became legal, I bought a farm because I could dual purpose her horses with a business. How can we make it productive? Because I'm not just going to go buy a Harvey farm. And um, so so that's how I bought the farm. It was uh, 89 acres and uh, has a pond, had three houses on it. We had to build the horse stables and it was just perfect. And so I started. And so I was still in the law firm at this point. And uh, that's when the three-month discussion happened. <laughs> so, you know, my PLA's attitude had started shifting. My desires had started shifting totally. and it just aligned. And um, so I couldn't get out of there fast enough, I can tell you that, and be on that farm. And I was the farmer. Like I was in the hands and the dirt and I created the plants from the, you know, from the seed up and, uh, or I should say from the clone up and um, harvested it. So I did that for two seasons and I have enough now hemp material, which we created into products where we market senior citizens. Okay. Because that's my base. I was an elder law attorney. That's my network and that's my passion. But 
you know, as you know, with marketing and products that, you know, I mean, it is good for anybody, (laughs) but you have to niche, but it helps anybody. And so now I've got products and hemp that I can make into products for the next three to five years. And I'm actually selling the farm. I'm under contract to sell it on April 1st. So that's amazing. I love that. I mean, I just I've loved watching the journey. I love watching your daughter with her horse. I mean, I just think that's such a special it's such a special relationship. One of the things I loved about the farm is that my kids could see that at no matter what age or what stage you are in, that you can decide to do something different, do something else. And that allowed us to do that. And it happened during the pandemic, right before the pandemic. So it also gave us a way a place to escape and spend time together. They actually worked the farm. They worked in the rows. They worked with, you know, on the tractors, all that kind of stuff. What's interesting to me is that I was on my computer this morning and I was drafting an agreement between me and a new coach that I'm hiring. And my son came down and he's sitting next to me and he's like, what are you doing, mom? And I said, well, I'm, I'm about to hire this new coach. And this is my letter to her. And he goes, don't you just think how nice it'd be if you'd have kept the law firm, how much more money you'd have for such and such. And I said, no, actually, I'm happy that we sold it because it was a great time. We got the farm and my coaching business is doing even better for us than the law firm, I think, was going to be able to do at the stage in my thinking, right, right, at that time. He goes, oh, well, I'm glad you're happy. I'm happy. (laughs) You know, I mean, they just go with it. But now they know that I do the coaching for lawyers, you know, and so- They don't have to feel that they are stuck in one thing because they made a decision when they were a junior in high school. Completely. I mean, and how powerful is that? Let's be serious. I mean, to realize that life is filled with all kinds of varied opportunities that can change, I I mean, on a dime sometimes. You know, there's times I know for Doug and I, like we ended up buying this house we bought on the water out here. We weren't trying to buy a house out here on the water. We had just built a house. We literally (laughs) had just moved into a house, not even a year before. And we happened upon this and I was like, oh, okay. Obviously, this is presenting an amazing opportunity for us that we were not planning for, but we're going to run with it. And why not? You know, like life is too short not to be able to pivot, I think. But I mean, I think pivoting and being nimble and being able to make those decisions quickly. I mean, I think that's kind of like a superpower of both parenting and business ownership, because you have to be able to do that with both in your home life and in your work life. Because I do think sometimes opportunities and situations pop up that you're not necessarily prepared for, but you've got to be able to see them for what they are. I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, I'll give one great example and then some hardships where it comes along as well as being able to pivot out at our farm. It's two and a half hours away from our city house where we live and our kids go to school. And a dog went in and killed 23 of our 24 chickens. And my daughter had hatched all of those. She raised them from like an egg to who they were. It was devastating. And we had nine ducks as well. And they were all seriously injured and two of them had died. Well, we had to bring them back here to rehab them at our city house. And now they just live here. And now we have three goats at our city house. So we have ducks, chickens, and goats at our city house and I'm selling the farm. So pivot, right? (laughs) So you've got to be able to do that. But I can tell you that at least 
I agree with you. In business for success, you've got to learn how to do that. And if it's not natural for you, you've got to have people who can do it for you. And being in a marriage, that can be difficult as well. I have a spouse who was an assistant district attorney. She's been a stay-at-home mother since they were born. And she does not have the same pivotability that I do. And part of it is she's not an entrepreneur. Part of it is I'm sure her makeup already, but it can be difficult when you have someone who is raising kids who isn't, and we're still on the same path of raising our kids together and having all the benefits of both of our personalities. Totally. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it is a profound, yeah. Doug and I, Doug is very different. I mean, he's a, you know, military retired coast guard captain. Like, you know, he does things much more linearly than I do. Mm -hmm. And so, but I have to say like over time, it's been pretty powerful to, to watch both me kind of adjust and try to realize how much my ability to pivot and my desire to pivot and how I get kind of bored, you know, and I'll be like, oh, let's do this, <laughs> how that can be disruptive to him. And then also how he comes to realize like saying no to me all the time really takes the wind out of my sails. You know what I mean? Like somebody who does need that. And so he's learned to be more like he'll listen and he'll be like, oh, kind of interesting idea, you know? And then he'll, you know, he'll be like, well, why don't I talk to you about that, you know, tomorrow or whatever? Like, and he'll need a little time to think about it. But instead of that initial, like, are you crazy, Elise? <laughs> yeah. And it's fun to see how it plays out in our children, isn't it? Oh my gosh, totally. I mean, I see, we definitely have one of our six who is just like me. I mean, if she gets a little bee in her bonnet, like, I mean, the thing, you might as well just like write it down. It will be happening within like five <laughs> days. Do you know what I mean? She's yeah. That person, whereas the others, you know, look at her like, whoa, when did you decide you're doing that? And she'll be like, Sunday. I mean, (laughs) I don't know if you have found this in your team or not, but I support that in my kids. And I try to, you know, whichever way they go, you know, however, with my team, I found it more struggling when I had people that were more like me that wanted to impose their ideas, you know, and I was like, you know, I want their ideas but I don't always want to run with them. And they would get upset when we didn't. Whereas the other people who I much preferred surrounding myself with who would think about it and challenge me and all that kind of stuff, because I knew that I was still going to go with my idea. I just needed them to vet them first. Right. But we have to, you know, also think about that with our, our team members is, and I've said that to clients before, as far as Are you treating your team members with the same grace that you would your children and the same latitude that you would your children? And and sometimes it's personality, sometimes it's training or, you know, maturity, but. Oh, what an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. No, I think you're dead on. And I think those of us that do spew out like a thousand ideas a day, I mean, we have to realize like that our ideas need vetting. And when you have somebody else on your team like that, they similarly need that vetting. You know what I mean? Like, cause mm-hmm. obviously 90% of the things that come out of my head are pretty wackadoodle. <laughs> you know? and I definitely need somebody who'll be like, Elise, have you thought that through all the way? And I'm like, no, that's your job. Like you think that through all the way. I'm going to move why on. I'm talking that. to you. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. I mean, Victoria, I am so grateful that you came here today and talked to me. It is just always such a pleasure to talk to you. And I love your brain. 
your brain just is a breath of fresh air, I think, to my brain. (laughs) I very much appreciate it. And if you love our podcast, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. And again, Victoria, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and good luck with your farm sale. I can't wait to see what's next. (laughs) Thank you, Elise. Thanks for having me. Yeah, have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.